Acts chapter 1, verse 8, got into this word last week. And I, I think sometimes we breeze over words and God's saying what he wants to do and what he planned to do. And I, I kind of explained this as we were going through this. This was, this, this was a different period of time. And we, we live in this church age. This is a transitional period. Uh, I'm not trying to get a replica of this event but I think there's some things that the Bible, we learn by going to the law of first mention about when God promised something and we go back to the beginning roots of something, the study to see what happened, what was going on. And God promised the disciples as he was going up into heaven, he said, hey, I'm gonna, you're going to receive power. But it's not power that you get by going through the motions. It's not power by showing up and having programs. He said, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We did a study on the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God, and I want to even continue that a little bit. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Talked about the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. The Spirit of God worked, it moved, it changed, it formed, it gave life. We sit there and think, what are we trying to ask for? The Spirit of God in the Hebrew is this word that means ruach. It's, it, it means wind. It resembles breath. It, it's a blast of air. You say, why do we have things like that? Because sometimes in our minds, we sit there and talk about the Holy Spirit, and we're like, I don't get the Holy Spirit. That, that is beyond what I real, uh, deal with on a daily basis. It, it, it goes beyond my normal everyday realm. So God said it, it is a breath of God. You can imagine even that description of Having a service where God pours out his blessing or breathes on us life to change people in the audience, to bring uh, acknowledgement to him and open their eyes of the blind of those that can't see their need of salvation. It's a description of this. It's a description of the wind. We've seen pictures of hurricanes and things. You can't <clears throat> see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind blowing through the trees and how it has an effect. It is something there that is moving and alive and working. Can't see the wind, but you know it's present. The Spirit of God is this breath. We talked about this power. You shall receive power from the Holy Ghost. It is a force. The Bible talks about a divine force. Ephesians chapter 6 talking about that, that we will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and the church being a force that the gates of hell shall not be against. Man, that is something that God said, I'm going to give you. It's miraculous power. <clears throat> I put up the picture of Jesus dying on the cross. And sometimes we look at that and we have to understand that that is our sin. <clears throat> that is our past. That is whatever sin has done to your marriage and done to your life and done to your reputation but he didn't stay that way he was buried and the bible says in romans 8 11 that the spirit of god made him alive we sit there and say if you just knew what sin did to my life and i say let me tell you what the spirit of god can do to your life don't leave it in the grave don't don't leave it on the cross with the sin understand that god gives life to that which is dead he heals and he restores and it's this miraculous power that is defined in this Promised in that same definition of mighty works. Ephesians talked about doing great and mighty things that worketh in us. Promise of doing things that are beyond what we can imagine. And God gives this visual of all these things, understanding the Spirit of God that wants to be working and moving in our lives. 
It takes us to the upper room. Turn the page or just glance over to Acts chapter 2. The disciples for the rest of the passage are trying to replace Judas. That's a whole other passage and we might even touch on some of that next week. And they're replacing him and then they, 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 they get uh, Matthias to take his place. And they prayed and they sought God and they came in unity and they experienced this outpouring of the Spirit of God. And I want to look at what it means to have an outpouring of the Spirit of God or the filling of the Spirit of God and really asking the question, why don't we see that today? Why is it sometimes that our services are cold? Why is it that sometimes the relationships are so shattered and broken? Why is it that we can read in, the, in history about the great awakening and the great revivals and D.L. Moody and all these great men of God that preach and they hear messages like sinners in the hands of an angry God and people sitting there gripping their seat as they hear the word of God crying out to God, don't let me go to hell. It wasn't theatrics. It was a touch of God. It, it was a move of God. It was the breath of God. It was the outpouring of the Spirit of God. In Acts 2, verse 1, and it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one accord, in one place. There was unity on the, them that, that brought them together. You see that in Acts chapter 1, when we talk about they were praying and fasting and supplication and continuing in these things. Now, this Pentecost has a different meaning that we know today because we know that there's Pentecostal churches and the day of Pentecost is looked at different by different denominations. It was a celebration of the early weeks of harvest. They would harvest, they would plant, and man, everything that they had, they didn't run to Walmart and Giant Eagle to pick up groceries. They, they were relying on God for everything that they had. And on the 50th day, they would have this celebration. It was the 50th or the day of Pentecost. It was the day of celebration of the first harvest or the fact that they were being blessed by God with food. And there was a number of things that we celebrate, Passover and Palm Sunday and the day of Pentecost. All of these have symbolism. Passover is the fact that Jesus Christ became the Passover for them, all the way going back to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. This is another thing. This, this is when God showed up. And it was a matter of them celebrating the fact that, that God showed up to give them what they needed, but they got it on a whole new level that they didn't realize that God promised to give them. So let's paint this picture because honestly, we just read these verses and go, What? Acts chapter 2, verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues that spoken languages, began to speak after this, that everybody there heard from all these different nations, heard the gospel in their own language. And the Spirit of God is the one that did all of this. The Spirit of God gave them utterance. It wasn't them, it was God. We talk about what is it going to take to have a breakthrough or a change, or what, what is it going to take for our children to be reached, or our nation to be changed, or to awake unto righteousness. Hey, let me tell you, church, the only hope we have is an outpouring of the Spirit of God. That is it. We started this whole study off about this desire, and they said it's not necessarily prayer. But it's got to start with desire that we do pray. 
We talk about pray, pray, pray. A lot of times we know it's prayer, but we don't have the desire in us to seek after God to begin with when it comes to this. Let me explain what's going on in this upper room because I just want to keep walking through this. What God was doing in Acts is he was fulfilling what he promised in Acts 1.8. It was, it was he was making his presence known. Now, let, let me give you kind of a, an English lesson. And you're thinking that you're the last person that should be doing that, but work with me on this. It says the sound as of a mighty Russian wind. It's a simile. It's a comparison using like, uh, like or as. We use this today. He's like, he's brave as a lion or he's blind as a bat. Or we use these analogies or these comparisons to illustrate something. It's like you go to the store or, or go to uh, like Midas or you go to Firestone or whatever and they say, what's wrong with your car? Do any of you sit there and try to do the sound effects to try to illustrate what's going on? You just sound dumb, but I mean, we do that. And it's like making this grinding noise and then we have to illustrate it. God is wanting us to understand what he is doing. Now, a lot of times what we're wanting is the spirit of God and we're saying, I don't know what that looks like. For just a moment, when God introduced the spirit of God, and I, I like thinking of things like this. We have those curtains. There's curtains that cover the tomb right there and we can pull them or open them up. It's a matter of sometimes we can talk about what God is doing in the unseen, but sometimes in Scripture, God pulls back the curtain and says, let me give you a little glimpse. I believe that's what's happening right now. God's saying, I told you that I'm going to do this. Let me give you a little glimpse of what's going on. It's a description. Now remember, this is not weather conditions. It's like as a mighty Russian wind. God spoke to Job in a whirlwind. His voice came from the whirlwind. Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 6. We know John 3, 16, before they got to that verse. Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Now listen to this. Jesus is teaching. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh, or whither it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. God is talking about the Spirit of God and the reviving of man. And even Jesus said, I'll tell you what, there's something that happens that comes over or happens or changes you. How many of you remember the day that you got saved? Raise your hand. You're proud of that. Man, say, I remember the, I remember the day I got saved. I was sharing this in the Sunday school class that I was teaching a little bit ago. I was sitting there as a hard-hearted, carnal, you know, apathetic teenager. I wasn't living in the world, but all of a sudden, God got a hold of me on that day, opened my eyes. I began to weep. I was a teenage boy crying in front of a bunch of other teenage boys, which doesn't normally happen. I got up out of my seat. I pushed my way through there. I went down to the altar. A guy came down, put his arm around me and said, why are you here? And I said, man, I've been in church my entire life and God told me today I need to be saved. He said, what is the point of that? It was something happened in that room that wasn't Tony Liuzzo or was not the pastor preaching. Do we, have we lost sight of the fact that God works in this way? Jesus was explaining the Spirit of God, how he works, how he moves. The unseen presence of God that was a wind that showed up in that day. They said it was like a mighty Russian wind. Was it there? No, it wasn't there. But it was like that. God said, when I show up, things happen. We talk about the breath of God. 
and the breathing and the explanation of the Spirit of God being the breath, God was breathing on them in a way that, the, that man could not do it of themselves. It says in the second part, and they were filled all in the house where they were sitting. This is not us, but once again, this is the spiritual illustration. This outpouring of what God was doing, that God showed up. I don't want to go through the motions of things. I don't want to try to make church happen. I get exhausted doing that. I get exhausted trying to figure out whether or not I'm not, you know, have the right points or the right angle or the right illustration and all this other stuff because we can become so carnal even in the Christian things that we do. For God to set us back and say, dude, it's not about you. It's what I want to do through you. And I say that to every single one of us, to, to just for God to put us in check to say, when did the church make it about you? And we do. <clears throat> it is human nature to do that. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire. And it sat upon each of them. <clears throat> God made known his presence and God made known his power. And they saw his presence of power fill the room. The cloven tongues divided up and came down on each one of them like as fire. And say, why did you get in this series called talk about catching fire? This is where it's at. There was power that showed up. Do we understand the Spirit of God? No. Do we understand the presence of fire? Yes, that I get. Australia has been terrorized by the, the outbreak of fire that they can't control it. It began small and began to spread and it was a power that they just couldn't throw water on and extinguish it. There was something greater behind it making it burn. And the Bible is filled with illustrations. This is an illustration. It was like as fire. They would just say, hey, something showed up and came upon me on that day. And I'll tell you what, there was power in that room that wasn't like anything I've ever seen. And I know for some of us, this is, this is just weird. I, I, I don't want to hear it. Do you understand that this Satan is real and all the junk that comes out of the pits of hell is real? The spiritual warfare and all the confusion in this world, that's all real? The fact that they're after our kids and they're confusing everything and they're getting into the school system and they're changing our cartoons, it's real. You say, well, yeah, it's just the way that it is. No, it's not the way that it has to be. Maybe we have been duped because Satan is a liar, so we just back up in fear and keep backing up. And God says, let me tell you, let me show you what I've done. Let me show you what the power of God can do. A matter of God says, I'll equip you and come on you to push back. And what is in us is greater. He, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I don't have to retreat. I don't have to back up. I don't have to give in. I don't have to give up. I don't have to let go of my kids. I don't have to have it in my mind. That our church can't move forward for the glory of God, even though we are in 2020 in a day and age that is different. Like his fire. I don't, they didn't know the Holy Spirit of God, but they knew God. Hebrews 12, 29, it says, for our God is a consuming fire. 
Moses experienced the presence of God through the burning bush. God led them through the wilderness in a pillar of fire. God spoke to Moses out of the mountain and there was fire. And the Bible says, in the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire. Elijah came before the prophets of Baal and they were sitting there saying, you are way outnumbered. There is nothing that you can do. We're greater than you are. Elijah comes back and you guys know the story. He says, I only I remain a prophet of God. He's discouraged. He's down and out. He's feeling like I can't push back. I can't get in. I can't move forward. God came upon him and said, you go confront them. Dig a trench and let them call down their gods and what did they do they screamed and they hollered and they cut themselves and they mutilated themselves and they're desperate for answers i know i've preached on this before but let me let me just bring you a flashback to that story people don't just tear their bodies up like that without thinking that they're desperate for something to happen and our day and age is not necessarily dancing on altars and cutting our arms today and it's self-mutilation through drugs and alcohol and, and depression and everything else that gets into their life and makes them do things that they normally would not do. But what did they want more than anything? They wanted their God to show up, but nothing happened. Elijah walks before them. Elijah backs up, the Bible says, and he knelt down. He lifted up his hands towards heaven and he said, it's not about me, but today that they might know that there is a God in heaven. And I don't know why God chose to do it this way, but he did. <clears throat> Fire fell down from heaven and it consumed the altar and it consumed the rocks and it consumed the dirt and the dust around it and all the water. You say, what was God saying? You have not because you asked not. You have no idea what the power of God can do through those that want to bring glory to God. But I love the way that that story ends. In verse 39, 1 Kings 18, 39, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So what happened? See, fire does something. When you're outside and all of a sudden it's cold all the way around you and, and there's a fire going. And, and I, I remember us going to Boo at the Zoo years ago and it was one of the coldest nights that I ever remember in the history of living in Ohio. And we decided to walk around looking at lights. Their lights are not worth that kind of torture. <laughs> and I remember there being this canister that they would have in places. And all of a sudden, people would just walk past those canisters that, that had the fire going inside of them. And they would just like go right to it. <clears throat> it's like, I need that. Man, I'm so cold. And all of a sudden, this is different. This changes me. This affects me. I need this. I want this. And all through the Bible, every time that God gives this illustration of this, he is talking about the power of God. And the Bible paints this picture of this upper room. And God said, I showed up and I gave them power. And it's a cloven tongues. It literally meant that it was divided up among all of them. And we don't know what this looks like. And movies try to portray it. I don't know what it was. But all I know is it wasn't just a, a move upon a group of people. It was God touching each and son of one of them. The Bible says that it touched each upon each of them. Guys, I'm not looking for a repeat of this. And this gets into what was happening. And the Bible says in Acts 2 verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. This brings us to this topic of not only the outpouring of the Spirit of God that we see, but we see the filling of the Spirit of God. 
I'm not looking for a repeat of this. And can I explain why? Maybe some of you are new to Christianity and you need to understand this. We live in a different dispensation of what's going on. They're being introduced to the Spirit of God. I have the indwelling of the Spirit of God already inside of me. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.13, In whom ye also trusted after ye have heard the word of truth. That's how I got saved, right there. And the gospel of your salvation, in whom after ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When I got saved, it was not because I got baptized. It's not because I did good works. It's not because I was trying to give more than anybody else. I got saved because I repented of my sins. The Spirit of God made me alive from the inside out, and I was saved because I believed in Jesus Christ. He said, how in the world can you be raised from death unto life? The only way you're raised from death into life is because the Spirit of God does just what he did in the tomb with Jesus Christ. He makes you alive. You are changed. And it's awesome, that description. He said, you are sealed. I almost did this. I almost brought a picture of this because I know sometimes it's like, what does that mean? I, th- this is just my level, okay? I got to put things, you guys get my level because that's, it's my, how I think of my brain. I, I, I think of Woody in Toy Story when he lifts up his boots and it says Andy, okay? And it's like, who do you belong to? I belong to Jesus, I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, written on my heart, covered of my sins, inside of my life is the Spirit of God. When I go to heaven, I'm going to heaven because Jesus is in me. I I need you to understand that. You are sealed, bought with a price, belong to God. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. We're not waiting for it to show up, and I don't have to get it by getting wet. I get the Spirit of God by getting saved. The problem is, I don't just have the Spirit of God. I have my flesh. And I think this is where, like, that all home moment of all of us where we go, oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, why don't we see this anointing power and outpouring of the Spirit of God and the God working and God doing revivaling? God explains very clearly that the same time of Him doing that, it fell upon man. For the flesh lusteth after the Spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. God says, let me explain it. There's a battle inside all of you. And there's a battle in you to want to do the things of God. And there's a battle in you to pull you away from the things of God. My flesh is wicked and lazy and apathetic. That's just what my flesh is. If we're being honest in this room, we would all admit the same thing. It's like somebody getting stirred up on Saturday night. Honey, we're going to church tomorrow. I, I want to I get back in the church. I want to do the right thing. I, wanna, I, I want our kids to be closer to God. I, I, I want God's blessings back on our marriage. The alarm goes off. You smack that thing, so we should get up, and 10 minutes later, you're snoozing again. Your spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak. There is this inner battle as you're driving down the road and you have the radio on and you're praising God and you're having the best time and somebody cuts you off and all of a sudden you want to punch him in the face. Say, you shouldn't do that. I know, but I didn't say I did that. I just said, I want to punch him in the face. My spirit indeed is willing, but my flesh is weak. And it happens in all of us. And I think one of the biggest problems that we face of not seeing revival, though, like I said to begin with, I am what gets in the way of the Spirit of God. Let me explain this. 
this battle, this war, this interaction that happens in our life, it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to do things that they normally could not do. That word fill means to be influenced or supplied with. And I, and I know sometimes in filling, we take a glass and we fill it full of water and say, oh, it's filled. And we're trying to understand that. It's, it's a matter that God wants to influence every aspect of your life. You think about this. When God says to love the Lord thy God, it doesn't just stop there. It, it puts in all these words. With all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy might. There's aspects of my life that maybe I've given my soul to Jesus Christ, but my mind does not belong to Jesus Christ because I've filled it with things that should not be there. To fulfill, God wants to accomplish through us. What does that look like? In Galatians, when he talks to us, he's, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and faith. Talk about what the Spirit of God wants to do to bring revival. I'll tell you, if we just lived with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, we're not praying for some wind to shake this place and fire to come down. I'm not looking for a visual of it. I'm looking for the working of it in the Spirit of God in me. I say, well, I, I, I don't know if I want that. I want some sort of touchy-feely, you know, hang off the walls and something crazy happen. God says, if my people would just start living and allowing the Spirit of God to work through them, Ephesians 5.18 illustrates this. It says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's, it's this calling or this command to be filled with the Spirit of God. You have some people, and, and I, I thank God I didn't dr- grow up in a, in a drunkard home of any way possible, and I thank God for that, but I've heard so many people say, my dad was a mad drunk, or my dad was a happy drunk. Like, if we wanted to have a good time, if my dad wasn't drunk, he was mean. And it was, it was a matter of that alcohol had the power to come into your life and bring you to the point of drunkenness to where you lose control and you become something that you're not. This is almost what you would call a negative illustration of the fact that God said, I don't want you being controlled with something that brings you to do stupid things. I want you to be controlled with something that brings good out of you. The Spirit of God comes upon every aspect of our life and begins to change who we are to where he can do other things through us. We, were, we witnessed the, the working of the Spirit of God through, all through Acts as they preach with boldness. They stood before kings. They went through deep opposition. They, they had personal sacrifice. Stephen was stoned to death and he raises his hands up towards heaven and he's praising God in the midst of that. You said, how do you do that? It's only the Spirit of God. He said, but the Spirit of God, but you shall receive the power of God after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Can I show you something that God showed me when I was going through this? I sat with Jenny last night and I said, I'm just asking that God gives me the grace to show this because this is so important. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. Notice the name. What gives us divine power? What gives and fills our life? What dwells inside of us? Now I want you to see the visual of this name. If, 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 if we have it, I'm not. There, there's two names up here. And I know you're very familiar with these names. And I started thinking about this. Man, this has consumed my heart and mind lately. It's just trying to understand what comes inside of me. And now I know God. Jehovah Jireh, all the names of God, Elohim. I, I know the, uh, the mighty presence of God. 
But most of the names of God do not start off with the name holy. The Bible makes very clear that God is holy. He's holy in all that he does. But when he gives us the name of God for us to recognize, he doesn't say holy God. Jesus is the same thing. Was Jesus holy? Absolutely. He was without sin. But I don't have one name in my Bible that it comes out and emphasizes over and over again that Jesus was holy Jesus. But when God talks about his spirit, either the spirit of God or the Holy Ghost of God, he puts before it every single time almost, holy, holy, the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost of God. See, the filling of the Spirit of God requires holiness. Now, you want to talk about a very uncomfortable subject in 2020? You want to talk about something that makes us squirm and we don't want to talk about in Christians? Uh, this idea of holy. It's the Holy Spirit. I, I, I try to illustrate this and understand what that means because Honestly, it's hard to understand, just being honest, how we can boldly go to the throne of grace, but at the same time, we acknowledge that they could not even look upon the face of God, for he's holy. I've heard the holiness of God or the essence of God being described as the sun. The closer you get to it, the more you admire the power and feel the effects of it, but you can't stand in the presence of the sun because you would die the holiness of God, the Holy Spirit of God. In Exodus chapter 3, there's this illustration. And the angel Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. He was standing in the presence of God, but God again gave him a visual of the power of God. And Moses said, I will turn aside, and I see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. And I ask you, what made that dirt holy? It was God. See, we have to recognize the holiness of God. As Moses stands there and he starts approaching the power of God or the presence of God and just starts walking right up, God literally in that moment cries out to him, you better stop. Take off your shoes. Why? I need you to acknowledge through your actions that what you're about to encounter is like none other. It's holy. Holy. The Hebrew word holy means to cut off or separate. It means to be morally pure. It means like there's nothing else in this world that is like it. Holiness is not what God does. It's literally the essence of who he is. The holiness of God represents what is right what is pure, what is good, and what works. In Isaiah 6.3, as they were describing the holiness of God, and one cried to unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
No other word is repeated like that. There's portions of Scripture that will have truly, truly, or words like that, but nothing repeated of holy, holy, holy. God was emphasizing that this is above everything else. That there is nothing like that. It can't be compared to anything else. You can't bring it down to your level. There's nothing in this world that you can mix it with and understand that it's still holy. The emphasis of holy is all through the Bible of Matthew 6, 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which is in heaven, hallowed, sacred, holy is thy name. Now we understand why when the name of God in Exodus 20, verse 7, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for God will not hold him guiltless. There is nothing that God says, and I hope Christians understand this, that you're never to take the name that is Jesus Christ or God or anything else and bring it down into mixing it with a curse word or frustration or evil or sin. You say, why did God make such a big deal about that? Because that which is holy cannot be mixed with that which is not holy. Don't do it. Not even in the name of God, because the name of God represents the character of God. And the character of God represents everything that is good in this world. We must recognize the holiness of God. We must respond to the Holy Spirit or the holiness of God. And he said, draw not hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet. The place wherein thou standest is holy ground. God desires to use me, to fill me. But the problem is that God knows me. In 1 Peter 1.14, he talks about being obedient children. Verse 15, he says, Be holy, and all manner of conversation is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Psalms 51 verse 6 says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part shall be known wisdom. I want to understand this with all my heart. And I understand that God uses the illustration of vessels all the time in Scripture. And what God wanted more than anything is He wanted Peter and James and John. And it baffles me beyond description to know why God would want to use me. Why God would want to anoint me and fill me that I am the chosen vessel of God to these things. But God knows the inner me. In John 17, 17, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. See, God speaks to me because he knows what he wants to do in me. But listen, I, I, I took all these blocks and I put lust and anger and greed and apathy and all these different things that we all know inside there. And we all have these things. We all struggle with these things. Whether we recognize it or not, every single one of us struggles with my flesh because the flesh worth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. This is every single one of us. The Holy Spirit looks inside of my life and says, I want to do so much with you and through you. But because I am holy and I represent that which is good and right, and wholesome, and the answer of life, that if you're filled with anger, how in the world am I going to show my love through your anger? How in the world am I going to fill your mind up with wisdom to be able to do things you could not do when you're looking at porn? 
How in the world am I going to have you lead praise and worship and shake a nation and preach the gospel when you are apathetic? Somehow we have this mindset that we are crying out to God for him to come and dwell inside of us the way we are. And God literally says, let me explain to you what comes in and fills your life or overcomes your life because I want you to love me or desire me with all your heart, soul, mind, and might. Can I show you that everything, when the Bible says, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you, is every step that God's doing is revival literally comes through the obedience of Christians just making one step at a time. That the Holy Spirit of God living inside of every one of us, and we talk about what does revival look like and what does the Holy Ghost filling mean? The Holy Ghost filling mean is when we start denying ourselves, we study that. How do we do that to begin to fast and pray and God begins to speak with us and fellowship with us and talk to us and say, hey, I want in. And not saying that we don't have the indwelling in the Spirit of God, but we're talking about the filling of Spirit of God where God is all over everything that comes out of our lives. I'm not trying to be funny with this, but have you ever thought about if we are filled with anger and we have an anger issue and we're sitting there wanting God to work with us, it just as work to go up to somebody and say, hey, you're an idiot. God loves you, man. God says, you don't understand. They war against each other. And the world around you is seeing all these issues and problems. But let me show you, this is where revival happens. You know, and then you sit there and say, take off your shoes. You know, what, what he was saying, when the, the disciples were in Acts chapter 1, they begin to prayer and supplication and pray and fast and continue and want. It's a matter of us getting to the point in our heart where God looks at us and you have the Spirit of God. Listen, if you have the Spirit of God and something's not right in there, God will convict you. He will say, listen, Tony, that doesn't match up with who I am. And if I try to show my glory through that, they're going to see your anger, not my love. That's confusing. So you know what I do? I do just like Moses when God says, hey, there's some things that have to go. Moses sits there and says, all right, take off my shoes. You know what that is? It's simple steps of obedience. You want revival to come? when Christians begin to pray and fast and seek the face of God and as God convicts our hearts we begin to take the junk out of our lives to surrender everything that the Holy Spirit convicts us that should not be there I don't care how popular that is in the culture I don't care who's doing that or who's talking about that at work it cannot be in your life the pride of you that sits there and I try to work in your heart and you're so filled with pride and you won't ever pray you won't ever move you won't ever kneel yourself to the ground to pray to a righteous moral God until we deny ourselves and fight our flesh and turn from our wicked ways. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. 